The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on the Mike Wise Show, our guest has been called the quintessential American sports writer, and he just celebrated a birthday. Get ready for some epic stories, Celtics fans. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. If you've followed sports over the past half century, you know our guest well. Bob Ryan, who spent 43 years at the Boston Globe and has been a fixture on ESPN for decades, is our special guest. He also has two podcasts still, one with Mike Lupica and Mitch Album, his longtime comrades on the sports reporters, and another with Jeff Goodman, who we were colleagues at ESPN, a great basketball mind, especially in the Northeast. Um, welcome, Bob. Thanks for sharing some time with us. Mike, nice to be back with you. Great. Thank you. I, I don't think I've seen you um, in person since, uh, shoot, David Stern's memorial service at uh, Radio City Music Hall. Yep. And uh, what... I mean, what a day that was, but in, in a weird kind of crazy setting that as the NBA led the world last year in, in depression, that started a, that, that just seemed to start a trend of, of lousy life happenings, um, some of which were, happened to be around basketball, but much of which happened to be around uh, America in the last year. I, I mean, I wouldn't even know the country a year from now if I had spoken to you then. It's one of my last circumstances, my last milestones. Last time I was in New York, which I had visited frequently for 50 years, and and and, and I have not been in New York since. That was the, uh, the about the third week in January. It was the week before the Kobe Bryant passing, the mm. Kobe Bryant crash and death, which has horrified all the basketball community. And uh, so one of my milestones, yeah, uh, I, I haven't now, it's been over a year since I've been in an airplane, over a year since I've been in New York, over a year since I've been outside of New England. Um, and we all, you know, we all, we're all living in this, in this circumstance, but I certainly think about David uh, uh, frequently uh, mm. and, and, and all, all he meant to the league, all he meant, you know, he was, a, he was certainly someone I admired and, and looked up and, 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 and enjoyed his, his companionship. I'm not going to be so pretentious to say we were good friends at all. We <laughs> were good, solid acquaintances. Um, yeah. and, and I, 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 you know, I, I miss, I miss, I feel terrible about David, uh, mm. as well, but right. But all this stuff comes in, a, you know, together, uh, as we approach the first, I call it the, the Rudy Gobert day, which I guess was either March 11th or 12th when the NBA shut down. Mm. I happen to be watching the, uh, game at the big East, which was shut down at halftime, which, w w uh, during the big East tournament, no, mm. it was a, was a Marquette St. John's, whoever yep. it was. And, uh, you know, and we're, we're approaching that final milestone of a year into this, you know, horrifying pandemic that has altered our lives, not only temporarily, but in a certain sense, as we all had better know forever. 
Um, it's hard to even begin to where to start with you. I, I didn't get to know you until I guess Michael Jordan's second incarnation in the league um, when I started, I guess, at the New York Times in 1994. Um, and there were many Bob Bryan years before that. Um, I look, I asked, I threw out on Twitter, I go, look, I know, I know Bob more peripherally than closely, but I feel like I, you know, I feel like he's a good guy. And I know I, and I asked people, you know, if you had one question for him, and of course they were all Celtics related, but, <laughs> but, um, but I'm just curious, like, you know, belated happy birthday, you're 75. I know you were born in New Jersey and I don't know if you had, uh, you know, you're more of your um, teams were in Philadelphia at that time. Tell people how you got to Boston that don't know. I know it's an old story for people in Beantown, but the audience might not know. Well, a very simple reason is I went to Boston College. The basketball uh, uh, knowledge that I gained there because Bob Cousy was the coach and I got to know him and, and it really influenced me greatly in terms of uh, how I learned about, you know, so the nuances of basketball. Uh, I was the play-by-play -play, uh, announcer for the a radio station for four years. I worked for the new school paper for three years, but I did get to make the acquaintance of Bob Cousy, who still remains one today. He's 92 mm. years old. He's very, he's very facile. I got to Boston that way. Um, and, and, and I worked for the school paper and I was able through the auspices of the school sports information director and the public relations director at the school when I was a senior to get an interview for an internship at the Boston Globe. And um, my roommate, Reed Oslin, that uh, had the first dibs on that because he was actually the official aide of the sports information. Mm. He was not going to go into journalism as a career. And, and they said, well, we have another guy. Well, I was the other guy. And, uh. I, got, and I got that job with the Globe and that started it uh, in the summer of in the 68. The very first day on the job, June 10, 68, I met a guy named Peter Gammons, the name you might be familiar with. And Just he, a little. He was a, a fellow uh, intern out of North Carolina. He hadn't graduated yet. I was a rarity, you know. I don't know if yeah. you, I don't know if you ever interned or not, but I did. But interns, generally speaking, are undergraduates, not graduates. And yeah. it took me as a graduate, and I didn't know what was going to be the upshot of it. I, I hoped I could stay, but I had no guarantee. Anyway, Peter was. Uh, he still had another semester to go at Carolina, and he finally graduated in January of the following year. Anyway, Peter and I met that day, June June tenth, sixty eight, and and I hit it off. He was a Groton preppy. I was a Lawrenceville school preppy. <laughs> you know, we had that bond. We both liked basketball, but we both loved baseball. And, yeah. and, and that was our bond right away. Baseball and the preppy thing. And, and we've been friends ever, ever since. So that's how I got to Boston. Yeah. And uh, it turned okay. out to be incredibly fortunate in many ways. So you started on the first day of the job as Peter Gammons. I thought it was Will McDonough. Maybe that was, a, that was wrong. Oh, he was well entrenched by that time. Oh, that's true. That's, uh, Willie's older than us, the late Will McDonough. Uh, he was yeah. already entrenched uh, as a Patriot guru, but he also uh, was, he was, he, his, he had his fingers everywhere. He was very close to Carl Yastrzemski. He was very close to Joe Cronin, who was then the president of the American League. Uh, he had, he was, he was not close to Billy Sullivan. They, they became, <laughs> that was funny. I could tell you a story about that down the road if you'd like, but, uh, but no, not Will, but it was uh, Peter. And, and we, yeah. we're, we're, we're separated by a few months in age. What a staff at the time. I mean, um, you, uh, Gammons, Will McDonough, shoot, Lee Montville. Well, um, I want to say, uh, I want to say, um, oh, God, Leslie Visser, too, was She there. came later. Uh, we really coalesced with, with the powerhouse uh, staff in, in the 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. 
And there was a point in time in the mid eighties and I don't think any newspaper in America, and I think this, I can say this with any great, with great degree of certainty, before or since will I ever be able to say what I'm about to say, that each of the four people who were the primary people on the, on, on, associated with the four major team sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, each of us, football, Will McDonough, baseball, Peter Gammons, uh, hockey, Francis Rosa, basketball, me, Bob Ryan, we all became uh, inducted into the writer's wings of each of those four halls of fame. At, and, we were, and we were concurrent. And that's tremendous. I don't think there's, I, I, there's nobody else can make that statement. And no, I, no. And especially, especially now that I, I don't know when it happened and, and I'd still like to see to you on this, but I feel like at some point in the early two thousands, when we were stupid enough as uh, major metropolitan newspapers to give away our content and start instead of start charging men. And so the Huffington Post and all these, all these uh, mom and pop shops bought up people and said, Hey, we can actually do this if they're going to give it away free. But I, when did newspaper like newspapers were king then? Newspapers were king. You you could make big money in in uh, TV journalism and and of course when you started going on with Roy Firestone and and the sports reporters there was there was some ancillary income possibilities. But the bottom line was you like that was still always the bread and butter. And if you were shoot, I got out of school in '88, and but I remember thinking you know like if I ever got a sports columnist job at a newspaper, my life was set. You didn't, you, didn't, was, you didn't want another job. Papers were the king. They were the currency. And, and everything revolved around newspapers. And then slowly television, local television began to get into the act and, and all that. But this is before we had insiders with, with national television. Will McDonough being one of the first ones. He was identified by Terry O'Neill. Mm. I don't know whether it was NBC first and then CBS, wherever Terry went. But, you know, the legendary Terry O'Neill. But he brought Will. Will was really the pioneer of all of them. Bud Collins, who was another colleague of mine, the greatest tennis writer in American in English, you know, American history, oh. uh, and the most beloved tennis writer among all the people in the tennis world in the history. He was one of ours. He was my one of my mentors. Oh, yeah, Bud. What Bud was great. Bud well, was he great. started doing a little TV commentary for Channel Two, the public uh, the public station in Boston in the mid seventies, and then it blossomed into this and that, and eventually he left the Globe to go to NBC as a full time, and because he was writing for Tennis World. Yeah. Now. But he went into full-time television and made it and made it a living. Uh, uh, then eventually Leslie went and left us. Leslie Bizzer left us to go to television and made it a living. Meanwhile, I got involved with ESPN. Peter uh, got involved and then later, later went to ESPN and, and on and on and on it went. Uh, but we were, the Globe was really an incubator for a lot of this. So you consider that Willie, myself, uh, Leslie, Peter, all of us started at the Globe and wound up having associations with television when, and, and got this whole thing off the ground. But you went back to the paper thing. It would papers were the currency. They were the they, they were the way that people and and the columnist was the king. Columnist set the tone. Columnist yeah. set the the, the agenda. Um, later, local radio talk radio co-opted that from us. And but right. what did they do? First thing they did, they hired writers to provide expertise. Sure. Certainly soon it became, it, there was a point in time I used to laugh when if you were a columnist in America and you didn't have a radio show or, or were a part of one. You know, you were nobody. Every market in America co-opted the local columnist uh, or one of them to to get on local radio, if not full time, then part time. And I was well, you, part of that, too. Well, when I got out of school, I, I just remember thinking, it, you know, like if if I could be Bob Ryan, if I could be Mitch Album, if I could be Mike Lupica, Jim Murray, like that was a career goal. Nowadays, kids get out of school. and They're like, uh, can I be Stephen A? 
Can yeah. I be the, you know, like, and which is not a, not a bad aspiration, but there was a, you know, there was, there was a dues paying thing and it was called working the locker room, working your sources and, and all the things that journalism was. And I, look, I'm, I'm blown away by the success of someone, you know, real well, Bill Simmons, um, who used to boast loudly that he never went into the locker room and he somehow tapped into that. Yeah. Wait a minute. Now, now the fans are not getting this access they need. We need someone who just wants to go off on guys and, or, you know, I it's a new genre and I'm glad for him, but I, I, being an old school newspaper guy, I still miss the relationships that were built to come up with those stories. Let me back it up. Uh, all oh. of us in my time, as you pointed out, I'm 75 all, and I, I go back to the late sixties, the Western union era, as I like to say, <laughs> that if you like. Teletype. Uh, yeah. Uh, right. Um, all of us started out among other things, covering high schools. There's no doubt. Yeah. Almost every one of us. And, and as well, and I was covering high Celtics full time and high schools concurrently in in the early seventies. And you know, we we a lot of this came up in Twitter not too long ago. I don't know who brought it up. And uh, I said, you know, high school sports meant I I said walking the sidelines in the high school football game, keeping your own stats and kneeling in the mud, you know. And that's exactly what I did. And that's what exactly <laughs> we can all relate to the circumstances uh, of covering high schools. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. I, don't, I mean, I, obviously, that, that's not the path anymore. That's how we all got started. Um, and it's all different now. Of course, it's all different now. Everybody now wants to be Sheffy. And right. they want to be Woj, you know, and, and that's yeah. fine. That's, that's, that's the goal now. Those, those are the kings. And, and of course, Sheffy and Woj are newspaper guys at the core. You know, <laughs> I knew Adrian Wojnowski when he was in uh, Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, yeah. uh, excuse me, uh, not Danbury. Uh, another Waterbury. Tour. Waterbury. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew him at Waterbury. Waterbury. I knew him at the Fresno Bee. He went to New Jersey. Sheffy yeah. was at the Denver, whatever, Post, whichever yeah. one in Denver. And then, you know, but that's how they got started. And Buster Olney, uh, Buster was for the New York Times. Yeah. And that, all these information guys. And, of course, the original one, the godfather of them all, was Will McDonough. He was the first one that a network, a major network, plucked to become the insider <laughs> And he still was working for the Globe. Oh yeah, so and he had out. the he still had the fedora on, and he you know he would yeah. he was but he that's was, the world, he was that, that's the old world. And you're right, that's yeah. not the, that the way it is now. The 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 the, the stars are, are are those guys that we just mentioned, and others that in other I'm talking about ESPN because I'm yeah. part of ESPN, but you know obviously Fox has their own, uh, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, Ryan made, okay. life life changes. I'm yeah. just glad I did what I did when I did it. And I was a beneficiary. I'm still a beneficiary, beneficiary of those of, of, of that because I've still got a podcast. And our podcast, Mike and Mitch and I do, is a result of being one of the sports reporters for 29 years. And now we we transferred it thanks to Mitch's you know uh, entrepreneurship into a podcast, literary empire, Mitch Mitch album. Oh. The, uh, I was going to ask you the. Um, Shoot, uh, we had Ryan McDonough on, uh, obviously Will's son, and, yep. and he was just great. And uh, he would give all these stories about his dad, and including, I mean, you couldn't make this up. Like, you know, like Will would go visit um, uh, Whitey in a prison in Leavenworth. Yes. Like, you can't make that up. You can't make and that so story up. Willie, Will McDonough grew up in South Boston, and, and, and he knew the Bulger family, and, and, and Whitey, who became one of the, the greatest notorious gangster in the history of Boston. And, and Billy, who became the president of the state Senate, Angels with 30 Faces, <laughs> Angels with 30 Faces movie and art, art imitates, you know, life imitates art. 
And Billy Bulger, at the same time that his brother was the most notorious criminal in Boston, was the president of the state Senate in, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> and Willie had been Billy Bulger's first campaign manager when he ran for state rep many, 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 many years ago. That's great. Those guys. So we always akin to Willie about, you know, you know damn right well where Whitey is, you know, and, but you're not telling. And, 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 he, and he probably did. But <laughs> it just, and, and oh, yeah, but who's one of the greatest? Uh, 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 there's so many stories. There are so many stories. Yeah, but I know, I know. Really, beyond everything else, Willie and I lived in the same town. He lived about a mile from where we are sitting right now. And oh, that's Ryan, great. And I was the kid, Ryan. I have kidded Ryan, who did a podcast with, with, with Jeff and myself, Jeff Good and myself, last spring, last fall. Yeah. Ryan McDonough is the only major sports executive in history that I attended his christening. <laughs> <laughs> When, when Willie Mike Denise uh, had brought Ryan, we were invited to the christening. <laughs> that and, will make um, you feel old. Yeah, and and Ryan McDonough. Uh, so I, I I knew Ryan when. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> it. Story. Although that, that's, that's only one of my two favorite stories. That's one. That's one. The other one is, and I'm I'm just jumping. Yeah, no, this is great. I love this. Story. This is my favorite. This is one of my favorites. Yeah. Paul Silas and I became very friendly when he was playing for the Celtics. I, I was a very great, one of the greatest people I met in my career. Thank you. So glad to hear you say that. It's one of the great men I've ever known. And when he was in Seattle, uh, after he left the Celtics, I went out there, you know, I was, I was on duty and I stayed, I went up to visit him and he and, and Paul at their house. And uh, young Stephen was a toddler and I played Nerf ball on my knees in the living room with Stephen Silas who is now the coach of the Houston Rockets. Oh man. That's how you know you've been around for a while. <laughs> um, I I'm, I can't believe I'm going to admit this on my own podcast, but um, and I hope this doesn't get around. Um, <laughs> I actually dated Paula Silas, his daughter, for a little bit in New Jersey uh, while, while I was covering the Nets, and I was at the New York Times, and she was and great great young woman. Um, um, I just got scared that if it went wrong, Paul Silas was going to beat the shit out of me. So I I almost found a way like that I was too busy and I was going to be on the road for a long time. And to this day, I, I regret it, Bob, because while I hate the idea that, you know, people breed for genetics and all those things with my division three genes and her NBA genes, we could have done something. I mentioned, I said, Paul, when I met Carolyn, Carolyn is Mrs. Is her oh, mother. Carolyn, and Carolyn, by the way, mother, one of the nicest people of all Carolyn time. Your mother and Paul, but Paul Sow is one of my favorite people of all time that I ever covered. And, and I, I'm, 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 you know, I still stay in touch with him today. But I played Nerf ball on my knees with Steven Silas in the living room in Seattle. <laughs> and, you know, we all have little stories. You know? And now he's coaching John Wall. <laughs> the guy who I really like is a little bit of a knucklehead still. And he, and he just got rid of Boogie Cousins. Yes. I love it. Um, yeah. the, this is great. Uh, all this stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I, people are, people listening to this right now are going, wise, you idiot. I know, you know, Bob, Brian, a little bit. Why haven't you got to the Celtics already? And so, so I do need to get there. I think of, I mean, and I mean this in all honesty, I think of nobody alive that has more institutional knowledge about the Boston Celtics than yourself. And, um, and I wondered just, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you a few things because obviously Bruce Bernstein, my producer, Bruce, you can jump on now because you are a fan more than you are a journalist in this case. I know you love the Celtics. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want you to ask Bob Ryan, the first Celtics related question 
because I think I think coming from you, it'll even be more appropriate. I'm so honored. Uh, Bob, in between my <laughs> two my two stints at ESPN, I worked at NBC Sports for the 1992 Olympics. And while I was there, I had the incredible pleasure of spending about an hour with John Havlicek and his wife, Beth, who you obviously know very well. And I remember, I mean, I went to my first Celtics game in 66, okay? It was against the St. Louis Hawks. It was a doubleheader. There was yep. like some some Israeli Olympic team was playing the first <laughs> game against somebody. And then the second game was the St. Louis Hawks against the Celtics, okay? Yep. And when I was talking to Hondo in 92, I asked him, true or false, the 1973 team, the team that went 68 and 14 and then lost to the Knicks in the Eastern Finals yep. after Havlicek got nailed by Dave DeBuscher on that screen, right. was... I said, true or false, was that the best Celtics team of those vintage teams that won the two championships? And Hondo said, yes. And I'm wondering what your feeling about that is. Unequivocally. Unequivocally, mm. yes. Um, they would have wiped out the Lakers, whom they had swept in the regular season. And Cowens averaged 30 points and 19 rebounds a game in the four games mm. against the aging, immobile Wilt Chamberlain that year. And now the Knicks went on to beat those the Lakers as well, and, and they deserve to beat them. But the Celtics would have done the same thing. So yeah, that was the best team. Uh, and Havlicek got hurt, and then he, he played game, he missed game four, which they lost in double overtime, losing a 16-point lead, entering the fourth, with the worst officiating in the history of, of, of all the universe. <laughs> John um, Gianelli, that's all I got to I say. Had a good, he had, John made a few good plays. But, but he was a hacker. Jake, Jake O'Donnell and Jack Madden screwed the Celtics beyond all belief. And, <laughs> and it wasn't just a Celtic opinion. I'll never forget the great late Jack Kaiser of the Philadelphia Daily News writing that it, he called it the rape of Madison Square. Quote, unquote, you can go look it up. Does it, so I'm not being parochial when I say this. I don't know if he gets away with that today. They, they were screwed by the, they, the, the refereeing was atrocious to let the Knicks win the game. All right. They win the game. Game five. Havlicek now playing with his left hand only scores 18 oh. points and they win. Silas makes two big free throws. They win game six. Havlicek though is now the Knicks are catching on a little bit. He only scores nine points, I think, in this game with his left hand. And then in game seven at Boston, when they, at this point they had never lost a game seven, mm -hmm. uh, John comes off the bench and they want to make him pay. He's, he can't do anything. He's got his left arm. They were paying, they were too deferential, respectful in the first mm. five and six. They force him into turnovers and, and you know, they take advantage of him, which they should have. They win the game. And yet the other thing that, that people should have, Dean Meminger had the game of his life. Dean the dream. And they win 94 to 78. They, they kicked the Celtics ass. But mm. Dean the dream had a great, great game. And the Knicks won to win a championship, which they deserve. But the Celtics would have done the same thing. Yes, mm. they win it in '74 with not as good a team. They win it in '76 with not as good a team. Absolutely, that '68-14 <laughs> team was better than the '74 and '76 teams. So, Mike Wise, Bob Ryan, John Havlicek, and yours truly all agree <laughs> that team got. Well, screwed. yeah, it was, that, it was yeah, the best be, Celtics team of the '70s. Well, and and not only that, maybe the greatest team ever to not win a title in that it's got to be in a, in a in a category of about five because you got like prop. I'm trying to think. Uh, the Warriors won '73. They didn't win. What's that? Right, the Warriors. Oh yeah, the Warriors winning '73. That has you're right. That has 
that has to be willing to start with that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. And then you got to go shoot. Then you, you got to go to that Suns team that oh. uh, got screwed out of the playoffs that year yep. with Steve Absolutely. Nash and Amari Stoudemire. Yep. And the, oh, and the Kings, the Kings uh, of Chris Weber and Mike Bidney. Maybe the next year, you know, when the, when the, 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 the suspensions because they come off the bench. Oh, the 97. Patrick can't play. I'm so glad you said that because I was of the opinion that they could have, they could have, they had Michael's number that year and that team could have won. I think they had a real, real, real shot. But but I know that 68 and 14 team, that team, that moments, oh my God, some of the stuff they did, that is as good a running team, a pure artistic running team as there was in those days, as Hmm. well as anything that the the Lakers had done. Uh, They won 68. They were, oh my God. And Cowens was the MVP. John, uh, it it was, uh, but anyway, they, he got caught in a pinch between DeBusher and Bradley in game three and, and, and hurt his shoulder and hurt his, you know, and he, and he had to play with one his right shoulder, excuse me, and had to play with one arm the rest of the way. So John's right, Bruce. John great, was great. the best team of, of, of that era. This comes from a Larry Irving, and I, I want to sound like one of those, you know, you know, Jiffy Pop Pop. Paul, you could, the best six man, no. In Celtics history, John Havlicek, Frank Ramsey, Sam Jones, or I'm going to say your favorite, Bill Walton. But tell me. Well, John was the quintessential, the greatest six man that ever was or will Who? be. Who? Havlicek was the greatest. Oh, yeah, Hondo. Yeah. Being employed as a six man and then still playing second and minutes played in those years only to Russell. You know, it was a strategic thing that Ray was able to employ because of the depth of his team. Okay. And, and actually, you know, Tom Heights and people don't realize this. And, and when, when he took over in 69, 70, he tried to keep John in the first couple of games in that six man role until he realized it was ridiculous. You know, mm. he can't do it. we're not good enough to do this anymore. And then John went out leading the league in minutes played for a couple of years. Seriously. So, um, okay. All right. So, but Walton, I'm glad you brought up Walton. Um, in 85, 86, the reason why I think the Celtics are the greatest team in the pre three point mania era. I will concede the Warriors as the best team of the three-point mania era when the game <laughs> when the game has been changed into something totally different than it was in the in the, you know in the, in the uh, up to you know the last ten or twelve years. Um, no team ever brought a specific force the nature of Bill Walton off the bench other than the eighty-five, eighty-six Celtic. He changed the game in in the ways that no six man before or since has ever done. It was a it was it gave them the greatest one two punch at the five position the history of the league has ever known that year and and now the you know, five position has been devalued and I would love to know what would happen if that team could come back today and say okay we're playing our way and you're playing your way and let's find out you know and I mean that I'd like to know no team today I'm telling you could stop the Paris Mikhail Bird front line There's I no agree they constructed to do that. I now, agree. They, they weren't just skilled. They were tough. And they were they were skilled in a way that no team today has anything uh, like that. Now, yeah. okay. Now, today it's, it's all guarding the perimeter and the three. And by the way, the Celtics had guys who could make threes. Bird was a three-point shooter. DJ was could make it. Danny led the league in percentage one year for most of the year. He could shoot. Yeah. Scott Wedman was a three-point shooter. They could have adjusted. They, if they had to play the way they play today, Larry, you think why he wasn't happy taking 10 or 12 threes instead of three or four? He would have been happy to do that if you had to do that. Oh, yeah, I think people will, some people will say you're out of your mind. The Bulls of the 90s. Oh, we got the Bulls. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Bulls. you. I'm, I'm done with the Bulls. No, I, 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 I'm going to tell you something, Mike. I used to do a, 
uh, I had a, I had a, a, a cocktail, <laughs> you know, a, a, a bar little thing I used to do. I get yeah. up the napkin and I write down 10 or 12 names. Okay. And, and I would say to people, what do these names have in common? And I mean, like one person maybe ever, ever figured it out. No one figured uh, and it. And it were names like Walton, Worthy, Wilkes, uh, 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 Wedman, uh, uh, Rodman, on and on and on. Uh, and, and, and the answer, and, and uh, uh, the answer was, each of those guys came off the bench in a regular cup, uh, cup check and off the bench in a regular capacity for each of the four teams who won the championships in the eighties. That's great. That's a great stat. One year, they all legitimately came off the bench. And I say that team, Vinnie Johnson, I mentioned him. Oh my God. Ainge. Microwave. Uh, that team would have beaten any of the wall, uh, any of the bulls teams. I, I agree that with team you. And I- would have beaten any of the bulls teams. And the point being expansion, you know, created a dilution of talent in the, on teams. No team today could bring out. Can you imagine being able to bring those kind of guys off the bench today? Well, who the fact there, well, the, fact, you, the one guy in our time <laughs> that I put up is a, and I really think he's a borderline Hall of Famer, and I would advocate it because of his is Lou Williams. Mm. Lou Williams would, but it's in that category, and. It, and if you can name me another one, oh, go ahead. I'll look. But that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be from the mutual admiration club here. I can't, I can't disagree with you. I, when you look at what they could do, the, the, the physicalness. I mean, they went for when a team never went forty and one at home. They went forty and one at home that year. Those 80, 85, 86 Celtics did. And, and Larry Bird was at the top of his powers. He was at the very height of his powers. It was his, I believe that was his third year in a row that he'd won the MVP. Right. Right. I mean, I, I look at, you know, the fork in the roads of how he could have easily ended up with six titles um, just in, but, but gosh, um, I, you know, everybody says greatest Celtics of all, the greatest Celtic of all time, you take errors. It's easy to. I always, I always say when people say, "Who's the Mount Rushmore?" I go, "You got a Mount Rushmore centers. You got a Mount Rushmore players. They're just different." I still, I like Bird because he could do so much. You know, everybody will say Bill, Bill Russell because he was the greatest winner of all time. Where does Bob Ryan stand on this? Well, they're different. You know, centers. I always categorize centers too. There's no argument about Russell being the greatest winner of all time in the history of American team sports. You know, I mean, I, I. Let's just let's just be serious here. From 1955 yeah. until 1969, from 55 his junior year at, at uh, 54, 55 his junior year at USF, and through the last year of his Celtic tenure in 1969, he competed for 16 championships, two NCAA, one Olympic, and, and 13 NBA. His teams won 14 of those 16, and he was the primary reason for that. And the only one year of the two that he did not win, he was hurt. And mm. only people in St. Louis are, would be stubborn enough to concede that if Russell had been healthy in 58, the Celtics would have beaten the, the Hawks. So he got beat once legitimately. In 1967, Wilt was at the peak of his powers in his second phase, which is his, his all-around phase. And they beat the Celtics in five games, and that was legitimate and fair and square, no argument. Celtics came back and beat them the next two years, and, and, you know, and, and, and Russell went out as a champion, 69. All right. Uh, they're different. Look. The, the skill set of a center is different than the skill set of, of a mid-range player or, a, or a, you know, or forward or a guard. It, they're different. I mean, so that argument, I always like to parse that argument. When we're talking about greatest, the GOAT, 
we're, we're, we're talking about all around skills. And now we're down to, we're down to two people. We're down to Michael and Magic. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm it's Michael and Magic. The most what about, range, what about LeBron? I said, I'm not sorry. I said, Mike, magic. Oh, oh my God. I met LeBron. The jury was uh, 70, 75. And you and you first started losing. I never thought you'd lose LeBron. it. <laughs> All right, Michael and LeBron. And, and, and here's the way I, I, I wrote about this in my book, which is now seven years old, but the, and that was, and then and nothing's changed. The idea is this. Um, if the, the Mike LeBron is bigger, stronger, faster, better passer, better rebounder. And and when he puts his mind to it, can play some pretty damn good defense. Michael mm-hmm. was my idol. But if I got to play for my life tonight, I want Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line because it reminds me of the old Mike and the Mad Dog in New York. The that goes, I've got gun to the head, Mike. Gun to the head. Who you the like? Ruthless competitor. <laughs> the cut your heart out and give it to you with a glass of Chianti. That's Michael. That's not LeBron. LeBron is a nice human being. Totally team oriented, had to be kicked and screamed into taking over. This is great. You're so right. Between the two, Michael won it all in the NBA when he learned to share. Then 88 Michael is not making those passes to Paxson and Kerr that won those championships. All right. Yeah. LeBron didn't win until after the debacle of the pure debacles of a 2010 when I was there and he quit and 2011 when he shied away from the ball against the Mavericks that LeBron doesn't exist anymore that was the catharsis so he didn't win until he learned to accept the responsibility of being the best player on the floor and acting accordingly picking Mm. the spots to act accordingly he has learned that lesson and we're seeing it over and over again right now at age 36 Nobody ever has played a 36 as amazingly as well as Le- and I looked it all up. I'm telling oh, you, I bet. LeBron has right now. This 36-year-old LeBron is phenomenal. And but that he didn't ex- that this LeBron is better and much more, you know, more into it than the LeBron of 2010 11 all right. Another fanboy question. Uh, this one from a Mike W in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Um the best Celtics starting five Bob Ryan uh, has seen in the history of covering the... Before we get to that, one question. Do yeah. I get to cheat and make Havlicek a six-man because of his unique ability, or do I have to... Yeah, yes. You could, yeah, yeah, it's Honda. I don't, how can you exclude Honda? Do I have to yeah. pick a five? Right. When I, okay. do, I cheat. Because I, if I have to pick a five, I will. Okay. Obviously, Russell, Bird. Mikhail, Kuzi, and then if I if I can put John as six man, just because Havlicek and Sam is the other guard. But if I can't, then John's the other guard. There's no problem. See, I would have said, and maybe it's because I covered some of these games up close, and I think everybody's a little prejudicial to their own era. I would have I would have picked you for let's see, Bird. Parish, um, oh no, but not Bird Parish. Um, Bird Russell. I would say I would say the truth was in there. Paul Pierce somewhere, and then I would have went Kuzi probably. And well, see, that's different. Yeah. That's different. See, a, 
you, you want a basketball five or do you want what about kg or do you want the rushmore plus one what do you want there's different okay all right, all right, all right. I, I, i've been you almost need two teams in the celtics you know, the really Celt- in, in the celtics rushmore thing uh <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> you know the fifth guy the four are clear russell yeah. right bird kuzi havlicek the, yeah. the celtic historical the, the next question is who's next and and i've been through this and much as I love Kevin and I love Dave Cowan mm. and I love Sam, the answer next up is Pierce. Yeah, he's fed. He's five. Mm. So, okay. But I don't put him, he's not starting over Havlicek if I have to pick a, a, a big guard. No, he's not. Yeah. He's not. Sorry. Um, People not, have to understand how amazing Havlicek was. I'm sorry. No, you're right. That's, look, no one's going to argue with you on that. Now, the fact is, if I had a, John had turned himself into, such a uh, an all-around player that you you could put him at the point and make Pierce the you know and and kick Kuz out if you want, but I can't kick Kuz out for historical purposes. Uh, you can't. And he was so he was purposes. We're talking about what the Celtics wouldn't have existed for Russell to make them champions if Kuzi hadn't been around to bring the fans in the first six six years. Oh, he was he was a wizard. He was he you know he was. Uh, he was Marcus Haynes. He was, um, he was, he was, was Mr. Basketball. He was Mr. Basketball. Boston he was, was not, uh, Boston was and remains, by the way, a hockey town to this day. And, and uh, first and foremost, and, and the only reason the Celtics were even have any in life at all uh, and, and exist for Russell to come in in 56 is Kuzi. Kuzi, yep. whole raison d'etre for the Celtics. In, in, from 1950 to 1956. Some some Celtics legends have passed on in the last year plus. John Havlicek, 2019. Uh, then last year, Casey Jones, Paul Westball, Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah. You know, it, the Celtics franchise also experienced deaths of a different nature with Reggie Lewis and Len Bias during your time covering the team. Every name I just mentioned was in your circle one way or another. Um, any thoughts uh, that, that oh. resonate uh, with that really come out? Well, I mean, so many, you know, uh, first of all, um, uh, Westfall was a, a person. Westy. He was a, worst, a personal friend. Uh, I broke every mm. rule that journalism is supposed to have, supposedly, by becoming friends with a player and, and, and uh, crossing over that line. And uh, I'm a human being first. I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer second, and I'm sorry. Uh, mm. I, I and I hit it off well. And of course, the story that I, you know, people are aware of that in the 1976 finals, after Tommy Heinsohn and I were having a little, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know who, I don't remember how it came about, frankly, Mike, whether he invited me or I invited myself. I don't know. But at the, at the games two, three, and, and, and um, six of the 70, of the 76 finals against the Suns, I didn't stay at a hotel. I stayed in 552 West Burridge Lane, Phoenix, Arizona, Shea Westfall. And he had a nice little cabana out by the pool. So I had my own room, my own private setup set up. And I stayed at Westfall's house. Well, this and, is like, this answers a, a question Bruce wrote for me, which is, you know, what you clashed with Tommy. Was it because you were both from Jersey? Yeah. Like, no, your problem was Tommy was you, you, you left him for Westy during the finals. Well, the source of, that, that was, that was after we had our final little oh, okay. blow up in the game. Yeah. Post final. The summarized the Tyson thing. When I started out in 69, uh, he was a mentor in, in a way. Uh, I learned a lot of NBA from him. We spent a lot of time together, a lot of cups of coffee, a lot of airport lounges, mm. a lot of this, a lot of that. I learned a lot from Tommy. 
but I also was culturing relationships with the players. And as time went on, it turned out that some of the things that I was learning from the players and the way they were looking at things were different from the way Tommy was looking at things. And, when, and I decided I liked their viewpoint or I thought that they were right, more than right that he was wrong. And, and when I would write this, Tommy got angry, which is understandable and long story short, uh, our, our relationship deteriorated over the years and, and, it, and it finally deteriorated firm, firmly in the 76 finals. And, and early on, and that's when I decided I'll stay at West Falls House instead. And uh, now, long story short, uh, we, we patched it up. And, and for the last 42 years of his life, from 1978 until he died in the last fall, we were friendly and, and hanging in our living room right upstairs above me right now is a Tom Heinsohn painting. You know, he's a, a noted artist. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we were friendly and it was fine. Uh, you know, there was a circumstance of the time and we, we patched it up a long time ago. Well, you go read a book, by the way, that he wrote, uh, you know, it excoriates me, it called me a cancer. Uh, you know, that was, you know, in, in the time and, and people still Wikipedia, they cite that. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is they don't know that Tommy and I patched it up a long time ago. Right. Well, I always, I also think too, it, 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 it sort of bespeaks of the time when a writer had so much influence i mean you I, I think his problem with you was that that he probably felt the players trusted you and he thought your influence encroached on his authority in some way and yeah. it, it may have with your coverage but that's how much power and and respect you had as a journalist back then. that's exactly it uh, really you're right yeah, he, he was resentful of that and thought that there was people were going to you know think, yeah i had influence but and and, and newspapers did in those days, so, yeah, it was a different world completely. It's unimaginable today, right? No, that's what. That's really, I think, you hit it upon the core of it. But, yeah. but I mean, I owe I owed him a lot. I learned a lot of NBA from him. I learned a lot from the players. I learned a lot from everybody. I yeah. mean, and you know, we 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 had it had whatever happened happened. But uh, uh, anyway, that 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 time, and I let me do one quick aside. No, the, go, go I ahead. I, 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 I just, I, so don't wanna... I was staying at West Falls house during that, those finals. It's great. Uh, due to the time difference, you know, when I, on an off day, uh, I was done writing by two or three in the afternoon because of the time difference on my deadline and we go back to the pool and sit around the pool. Alvin Adams lived down the street. He'd come over and, and, and there's one other guy who was the, like the left off the roster of the sons that year. But he was hanging around and he needed, you know, he was happy to have somewhere to go, something to do. Nice afternoon at the pool. <laughs> Pat Riley. <laughs> so, That's great. I Pat forgot Riley. that. I yeah, forgot Riles. I forgot Riles uh, even had a roster spot then. I'll tell you something else about Riles. In the early 80s, when he first took over the Lakers, he actually wrote in 82 when they beat the 76, mm -hmm. the second championship because he won in 80 after succeeding, uh, you know, uh, West End. Um, he wrote handwritten thank you notes to several members of the media for the coverage. Oh, man. And, and I was recipient of one of those notes. That's the way the world was. Do you still have that note? No, I wish I had that one. I uh, have some stuff, but, but you know. Yeah, that, that's, that's a different world. world yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But no, no use say, uh, sounding like the old men yelling at the clouds. But let's do it for a heck of it anyway. Um, the I, I, you know, the, I could keep you forever, but I do want to get to Bird because Larry Bird has such to this day is a mythical quality, and I think part of it is for better or worse, um, and probably 
who cares nowadays because there's so many crossover stars, but he was the last great American born white superstar. Like you cannot, I cannot think of anybody since him that's taken over um, that kind of mantle. And I remember, shoot, Billy Hunter, the executive players at the signing said, this league will struggle if it doesn't get another Larry Bird. Well, that's not true anymore. The league is fostered and maybe it's because of changing societal attitudes. I also think it's uh, the influx and people getting used to European players and actually, you know, like, shoot, you didn't know when Dirk came in, nobody knew him. He hadn't played college or anything like who, who's this big, you know, and then all of a sudden he's developed and he's turned into this game and he became like a household name. But gosh, I look at, I, I you know, you're to this day, your relationship with Larry is very good, right? Very good. Yeah, can I have right. his number? Because I, I want to get him on the show. It, but, you know, right, all the guys, all the, the Caucasians now, or the lighter-skinned guys now are, are Europeans. The, the big, yeah. big stars uh, of big men, you know, Doncic and, and Jokic. And, oh, and the skill level is off the charts. Yeah, obviously. Uh, okay, uh, Larry. Larry Bird grew up in public, as all these guys do. But in his case, it was very interesting because Larry Bird was a bright guy who had grown up in a specific area of the country, southwestern Louisiana, uh, Indiana, uh, where there was no value placed priced on uh, upward mobility, no value placed on education. Uh, and, and if he had not been six feet nine and, and, and with, with the talent that he had, he probably would have wound up spending his whole life there being just another guy you know, that was born there, worked there, died there, and you know the world would never know about him. But Larry where it was, where it was that rarity. When he got to Boston, he began to blossom. He began to see the world, a, a bigger world. Mm. And, and, and to the point where, uh, many years down the road, I wrote a column for a story for the Boston Sunday Magazine about the blossoming of Larry Bird, and and how he had learned to manipulate the media and handle the media and enjoy the the interaction. Something, yeah. Sean. The first time I met him, Mike, ever met him was the summer of of uh, eighty, uh, and I was commissioned to do a story for the late lamented Us Magazine, the People Magazine AAA com uh, competitor, of right. and. It was the interview was conducted at his agent, Bob Wolf's house, which is like around the corner from his house, because he wouldn't let any media into his house. And he made it clear, I'll do my and one of the things he told me off the record, you know, I mean, as we did the story was uh, I'll do my duties with the media, but I'm not no one's ever going to come to my house or anything. The idea that he could ever become friendly with a member of the media was so alien to him. He, he just was wary, suspicious. Uh, he, was, he was a friend hick from French Lake still. Yeah, I won't go to say hostile, but suspicious and wary and, and worrisome. And, you know, well, we became, we hit it off right away. We became friendly. And uh, he asked me to do his book. And I did his first book uh, of and, and, uh, and uh, Drive. And Drive uh, was Drive was one of the, one of the books that uh, it was my senior year. I don't want to make you feel a little bit, my oh, senior, right. year co senior year college. And I got it and I was mesmerized. And I'm like, I want to write a book like that one day. And, um, and I just remember that now I didn't know I would be ghostwriting Shaq's book. It was a little weird doing that at like whatever he was, 30. But but you got Larry Bird. And like you see that you had so much, there was so much richness. And I remember, I don't let me tell me, tell me if this is right or not. I remember the, uh, reading interviews about that afterwards. And it was either Bob Wolf or somebody that they, they thought that there, there, Larry had some ugly, nasty fights when he was younger, and they wanted to take that out of the book because they thought it it made him too rough-edged. 
and they and Bird didn't care, but like, but his but his people cared because they didn't want that part of Larry Bird, you know, coming out there. And 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 that. And I remember you talking about that. I'm thinking those must be great stories that never even got out. Well, that's all true. And and Bob Wolf had uh, a Larry's influence, you know, influenced Larry, and 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 one of the I think the phrase we was one of the ones the, the grandmothers would like, you know, and and uh, so yeah, the the final product. Uh, mm. Was homogenized to an extent, you know. It wasn't false. It wasn't Still great. It wasn't falsified. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. But it was. It was. You know, there were, there were some things left out, of course. Um, but I was honored and thrilled to be able to yeah. do it. And of course, it was. You know, it, it was a good success and all that. But Larry, yeah, I'm very fond of Larry. And yeah. and um, and of course, one of the great fun things about that book was um, that, in case anybody's wondering, his friendship with Magic is legit. And, oh. and Magic did the forward for the book, and and then they they you know, when when uh, uh, the day that Magic announced to the world that he was HIV positive, one of the first people he called mm -hmm. was Larry. The day that Larry retired, one of the first people he recalled was Magic. Uh, they have maintained a friendship over the years. It's all for real. Yeah, and, I that's I want that, to know that that, that it is all for real. I think but, it, I never thought it was. I remember the, the, the you know Bird was famous for. He wouldn't, he'd duck out on the Boston media, but he'd meet some ladies in Utah for a pie. They'd show up, like, hi, Larry, and they'd bring him a pie in the hotel lobby. And, then, and or he'd go and spend time with some local yokel reporter that he just thought was interesting. And I talked him into, when I was covering high school sports in Sacramento for the union, I don't even remember Don Drysdale. He was a heavy set guy that used to cover the Kings. I was sort of, they gave me the backup for a while. And I remember, and I go, I want to do a story on Bird. They go, Bird won't talk to you. And then sure enough, I talked him into, uh, you know, I go, hey, can you go, will you go to lunch with me tomorrow at the High Regency? And I, I'm literally following the Celtics bus back. And sure enough, he that was like a week after, it was his last season, a week after. And he told me he cried when Magic called him and he just broke down. And, yeah. and I was like, wow, this, the, the, the respect level was so much even deeper than the competition and the love for each other. And it's one of the, like even that play that they showed on Broadway yeah. doesn't really, doesn't really do it justice. No, it doesn't. Uh, no, it doesn't. It was an interesting idea. Yeah. Just, I used to kid Larry, you know, when I realized as the years gone on and years went on and I realized how, how, how bright he really was, I used to kid him. I said, you, you, you successfully evaded, evaded the American educational system for 20 years, <laughs> but you know, but, He's because I, I and I one accurate prediction I made, and I did say it at the time that if there was somebody in that period of time in that in that talent pool who could be the next Jerry West, i.e., a, a superstar player who mm. could be a successful executive, it was Larry Bird. I just thought his innate instinct for for and you know I think what's the great go ahead I cut you off. was a good executive with Indiana and of course as a coach the great the coaching thing was phenomenal it was fabulous because he said. Three years, yep. no, no one, no one lives up to that promise. He said, three years, that's it. Guess what? Three years. He goes, <laughs> he, he goes to the finals. You know, they didn't have a chance, but he got them to the finals. But the one that killed them, though, Mike, was here they lost to the Bulls. Game seven. He's and I right there. there. He's right there. I'm in that game too. Ugh. And to this day, I'm like, to this day, I'm like going. Mark Jackson had a couple of turnovers at the end. And I just go like, God, they had that. They had their number. They had remember, Michael ja Jordan in a game seven. Remember the jump ball? And Larry blames himself to, to his grave. He will blame himself. He didn't think he positioned them well. There was a big jump ball, like 27. Oh, that's right. He, he blames himself for that. Okay. Here's the thing that drives him crazy. Yeah. 
if they win, they're playing the Jazz. Yeah. They had swept the Jazz. They toyed with the Jazz. Oh, they had the Jazz. He's winning it all. The Jazz. You know, Although that's a great series. Stockton and Malone were at their peak at that yeah, point. Yeah, but they but they owned them, he said. Yeah, okay. And, and they did. I don't know. He said. I'm well, and they had the bodies. They had the depth. I mean, yeah. the Jazz, that was the Jazz thing behind Malone and Stockton. They had all these bodies. They had all these great role players. Well, so did the Pacers behind Reggie and that crew. They just, you know, Rick Smiths and all those guys. Harry did it three years. And as he said, he quit. He never did it again. That's, yeah, that's great. Like, I think he's, is he even working now as other than a consultant or is he just still, hanging out I, in Naples? I think he's still on the payroll. I got, I got to go talk to him. I've talked to him for a while, a little while. Um, but uh, I think yeah. he's on the payroll, but you know, he's living in Florida for the most part. I think I'm sure he's there now. And, Mo- most and, amazing thing that Bob Ryan know or saw Bird do on the court. Yeah. The, what was the most amazing thing that you saw him ever do on the court? Um, wow. The most amazing thing I ever saw him do on the court. One, one guy said, I, I read this years ago that maybe it was Pete, remember Pete Axtelm? He, sure. he, did, a, he did a great story about he, he sat next to his brother, Eddie, but, you know, of course, awesome. Eddie's, you know, Eddie and, oh, one time he picked up a flat ball and threw it across the court at our, I my favorite. That's so many. But one of the things I think that separated him from, and, and, and of course, Magic, you could say the same thing, from, from Michael, and Michael's the greatest virtuoso. All right, I just told you that a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. never played. But Larry could do something and Magic, Magic could do something, but Larry more specifically amazing because of nobody ever in the history of this game accomplished more with the ball in his hands uh, less. In other words, you know, mm. talking about LeBron, Le, he, and, he and LeBron are the two greatest passing forwards of all time. But LeBron's got the ball all the damn time. Larry did not have the ball at the damn time. Larry saw no. two steps ahead. Okay. Larry Bird could control games without scoring more than any non-point guard in the history of basketball. Okay. I, I'm, st- I, I'm stealing that. In a way that Michael couldn't even dream of. One night in Phoenix, I remember this. We're mm. in Phoenix and they're down big at the half. And they come out and they have a huge third quarter. And they come back and they went, eventually win the game. And Larry Bird controlled the entire game in the third quarter, and he never took a shot. He had like mm. seven assists. And my, Michael couldn't – that's not Michael's game. Yeah. So that's, and think about this. Nobody accomplished more with the ball in his hands less than Larry Bird. He's, yeah, he, he was like – Never been. Now, they talk now Doncic, and I'm – and I know there's a, the Times did a big story the other day uh, comparing Doncic and Larry and his very uh, – and, and – you know, that's very interesting. There's a lot in common, but Doncic's got the ball a lot. I'm telling you, Larry, Larry never had the ball as much. Larry got more done without, without having the ball in his hands than any player. In the, player I always hate those comparisons, like t- take the great white guy and compare to the great white guy. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's a, I mean, yeah, they have a lot of the same skill set and everything, but but they were just they're different guilty. players. They were so they're different. Guilty. I know. Yeah, no, it's, right. um, but yeah. I, I am so, I, 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 I mean, I, I summarize it this way, Mike. Uh, yeah. In 1979, when Larry came into the league, uh, I was 10 years covering the Celtics. Okay. And I was equated to this. If I had been an art student and signed up for a course, not knowing who the instructor was going to be, and into that classroom on day one was Michelangelo. That's oh. the way I felt about Larry Bird entering my life wow. as a basketball fan. You know why I know that? I remember that. You wrote the day he retired. You wrote something like that. I mean, was that the day that you retired? Like, 
your, your lead was something like, just imagine if, if you were seeing Michelangelo paint the top of the Sistine Chapel and it was, and there was a couple other metaphors and they all made sense. And it was about greatness that there was so individual, there was, there was like historical greatness that nobody could pull off. Well, thank you. I, I, but he made How did I remember that? God, I need, I should just get, I should just, I should just, you should sign part of my body um, other than it would be really awkward. And it energized me. And, you know, I know I never wrote more about anybody than Larry Bird. I wrote more words about Larry Bird than any, anyone else in my 44 year career at the Globe. And I, uh, he inspired me to, uh, probably to move me to the, the highest, you know, literary capability that I possessed. <laughs> trying to, trying to, you know, you, you, you need it. You felt some nights. I mean, I, I know I used this reference on a couple of occasions for sure. You need the thesaurus. I'm out of it. I'm done. He's mm. done. He's done it more. I don't have anything more the, the, the higher level of praise, you know, than, than I ha already gave you. Uh, this is this is what it's like covering Larry Bird. And yeah. so I, I'm forever grateful that he came into my you know life personally and professionally. And, and uh, you know, uh, it, it was it was a blessing. It really was. Yeah, before I get to a real quick uh, finish with a few modern day Celtic questions, you know, of all the loss, and I, I sent you a quick email, but it wasn't, I never really had a conversation with you about it. You lost your son in 2008 and awkward transition, but I, I, I think like we talk about all these things that happened over the last year. And I, I thought to myself, and of course, I'm a dad now, and I've got, uh, I started really late and I got a 10 year old and a five year old. And it made me even more, I, I went back and read about your son and one, sounded like a tremendous kid, but, but more than that, like any parent, no parent should ever outlive their kids. And it just, it's wrong on so many levels. And I, if I hadn't told you, I'm sorry. And I know that, that, that it's now 13 years, but I'm sure that you still carry a lot of that with you. No one's prepared for that. And yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's a club you don't want to join. Uh, of course, and I, I, I certainly relate to anyone who is who, can, who is also been sadly inducted into that club. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's shattering. And the great blessing in our life is that he left behind uh, triplet grandchildren, mm -hmm. and who are now 21 years old. Wow! And and one of them is living with us, uh, has been living with us for the school year, uh, because her, you know, she's going to school remotely, uh, and um, she finds the logistics with us are actually, you know, just very good. And so she's been living with us and it's been just fantastic having her with us. And of course, you know, we're very, you know, we, we, we love her, her brother and uh, two brothers. And, you know, we, we have that, you know, so, you know, you, you fasten onto them. What can you do? You know, you probably and, tell them stories about him. Yeah, exactly. And, and we, you know, we, we talk about them and of course she can see, uh, all kinds of evidence of his presence, presence in our house, um, mm. of course, and that's really good. But it, 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 it's, you know, you get, you know, I say get over it, you get over it, you yeah. know, but it, it never leaves you. Uh, the, and I appreciate you, you know, bring, you know, I appreciate you uh, bringing it up. Um, yeah, is, he was, a, if people don't know out there, he was, um, uh, uh, Bob's son was U.S. diplomat, Keith Ryan, and uh, he was, his, he died in Pakistan. It, it, did, was there any closure with you and the family, or is it still somewhat of a mystery? Sadly, um, there is no closure. 
It is. She really don't. I mean, there, there, was a, there was a people said suicide, but there he obviously held a lot of dangerous positions in his life, and he was an important person in the U.S. government. You still don't know. No, and, and which is that that to me is oh, that's the worst. Yeah, it's uh, that that's the way it, that's where it stands, and and maybe someday we will get a, a final resolution. But it, it's mm. very difficult to negotiate these waters, and and um, mm. but. It, yeah. it, it's so you know and the thing is, I, we think most about you know, how are the kids you know how have they adjusted yeah. to the reality of it and and they've been remarkably you know geez, I hate to use that word but not the resilient uh, you, you don't know ultimately what's going on in their heads but they appear on all odds to have you know really come through this as well as you could hope and did, uh, you, and did someone like Bird ever reach out to you because he lost his father uh, no, that, no he didn't uh, yeah, I'll tell you a couple mm -hmm. coaches did you know, a lot of people, obviously a lot of people, yeah. but there's certain people I don't want to, you know, there's yeah, a certain man, right. one that a lot of people have their mixed opinions on, but I always recuse myself when I discuss uh, his, him, because uh, he was the most um, solicitous mm. uh, at the time and over for the next several years. And, and you know, I think that's the true side of him. And, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll let that go at that. But, but there are plenty of people. We were obviously the world responded very, you know, very uh, graciously to us. Yeah, I'm just glad we could talk about him, celebrate his life a little bit, and that yeah. he's got. I know the kids were they were from they, they grew up in Silver Spring, didn't they? They, they were in Silver just Spring. like ten uh, minutes from me. No, they were. They were living at the time. They were living at Silver Spring, and okay, um, um, they've since relocated to uh, Longmeadow, Massachusetts, and, and okay. that's where they grew up. Uh, they went to high school, and and uh, and so uh, that's, good that's field cool. hockey teams. Yes, and, and, and Ross. And, <laughs> I don't know how uh, I know that. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful town, and, and yeah. they've been really happy there, and it, it treated them very well. All right, let's. Um, I'm going to wrap some of the quick ones here. We, the current Celtics team, really stumbled this season, losing Gordon Hayward for nothing has left a real void. Danny Ainge yet to fill. Could have had Miles Turner, Doug McDormand. Um, what do you do with this team? Marcus Smart is something of a latter day Casey Jones as a player, but and Boston's missed him terribly. Great guy, but doesn't accept mediocrity and will rattle some cage in the locker room when he returns. What what improves for the Celtics and and can they make a run of some sort? I think people are overreacting, overreacting uh, myself. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on. First of all, there's uh, um, count me on as a member of the Brad Stevens fan club, and he is not the problem. Uh, he is not the problem. It's a personnel problem. One thing Danny has not been able, Danny Ainge has not been able to do in the last two years is find someone, a, 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 a reliable scorer off the bench. Someone yeah. who, as I like to kiddingly put it, puts on his income tax return under occupation, registered jump shooter. <laughs> they need the closest thing to the to, to Lou Williams that's out there that's not Lou Williams. You know, They're not getting him. They need somebody that can come in the game and change the game offensively. They don't have that guy. They need uh, Ray Allen in 2011 yeah, that, that guy. Um, Marcus Smart is missed. Uh, uh, with uh, 15 in, games in, as, in a row and it's not, uh, there's no specific uh, date for his return. He's vitally important. He, he, mm. He's one of those guys that transcends the stat sheet so much that, you know, he's it's, it's, it's an irreplaceable player. Kemba Walker is on an every other game basis and a very interesting thing and not surprising that he's had four excellent games in a row, each of which after he's had a day off uh, you know, when he, and when he has, uh, they've been going on every other game basis. So maybe by the, the, the real important games, because they'll sneak into the playoffs still, I think. 
and mm. that he'll be available and that'll make a difference. But they're, they're, they're those, and then of course they have struggled. Uh, they've had a, a five man by committee, you know, for really for like three years, but they've got a rising interesting presence in Robert Williams who they drafted near the end of the first round a couple years ago from Texas A&M, who is a seven-footer with a great athletic ability, mm. who uh, was hurt all the time. First of all, well, he's making an impact lately. He's making an impact. And he might turn out to be somebody who can, they can really rely on. If he gets to the point where they can rely on him, that's going to change a lot. Um, so don't write them off completely, but it has been a, 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 a bad siege lately. The other thing is uh, Jason Tatum had COVID. Oh, it's, I forgot and, and about that. Came back and, and, and said, I'm not the same. I don't feel the same. And and his shooting percentage is going mm. since he's come back. And he's in the all-star game based on what he did until he got sick. But uh, he's not the same player right now. Jalen Brown, though, we have no complaints. Jalen mm. Brown has elevated himself. He's as good as he's ever going to be, which is a lot. He's in the all-star game. Anyway, long story. I think, I think, Tatum, I think Tatum is an MVP candidate in a couple of years. The way it well, keeps going. He he. But right now he's, you know, his, his shooting percentage is down. Yeah. But he's still a kid. He's still 22 years old. It's hard to exactly. Manage. Um. And so they're they're not as bad as they look now. They cannot be, and they won't be when they get smart back. And if they can get Kemba playing on a regular basis in the playoffs, they won't be as bad. But that still leaves yeah. the the fact that they don't have that scoring punch off the bench. Yeah. And even if they don't have a great season or they don't make the play or they don't go anywhere, you have got to feel spoiled as a, as a Bostonian over the line. I mean, I, I was thinking this the other when, when, when Washington first had a championship parade for the Capitals and whatever it was uh, three years ago, um, that was like first time in 29 years since, since Joe Gibbs won at 92, like it, as a Washington, you know, in the, among the four major North American sports leagues, uh, I was looking like you guys were having a parade every other year. It was, had, it was incredible. We had 12 parades since the dawn of the 21st century and six finals, oh. not including the MLS where they went to the finals three straight times mm-hmm. or the NCAA hockey championships that have been won by uh, BU in Boston College. No, we've had uh, the best beginning of the 20th century of any city in America, and sooner or later, there had to be a market correction. I am perfectly <laughs> sanguine. With the Red Sox are horrible now. Right, I have no problem with it, and I'm I'm in the minority. People have gotten sadly spoiled. Come uh. on. You know, uh, isn't there a billboard like like so and so days since our last championship parade, which is just insufferable to teams like you know in San Diego that's never ever do won something. No, I mean, so I mean, I'm I'm but I'm, I'm Mike. I'm I hate you know. I'm just, unfortunately, I'm in the minority. Uh, there's an entitlement mentality that pervades, and and you know, and each sport has its own set of fans that I don't understand this. I've never been like this. Only concentrate on one team. I don't understand mm. that, but that's the way they are. So Celtic fans are feeling sorry for themselves. Patriot fan, can you imagine oh. the gall, the absolute gall of oh. any Patriot fan feeling sorry for him or herself after this year? Uh, I mean, they're out there, uh, you know. And the Red Sox <laughs> four championships since 2004. Oh. And yeah, last year stunk. 
and and they're not going to be very good this year, but they're not going to be as horrible, I don't think, as people think. But no, no you've got no right to complain if you look at the big picture. But people, you know, when they only if you only follow one sport, you only worry about your own. And I I, I don't relate to that. Never could. No, I, I never I never will as well. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for the time. I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I knew I made it in the business. When um, when I got back to my room at the Sydney Olympics and and uh, Bill Roden and a couple other guys go hey where were you and I go oh Bob Ryan and I went out for beers we had Victoria bitters at some place in Sydney after we covered a, a basketball game and because you went out with Bob Ryan oh my God you've made it and so yeah I just wanted to thank you for uh, you know it's one thing for me to act like I'm working at a game and it's no big deal but boy, you know, I I never tried to show it, but gosh, you and Sam Smith, people like that, Rick Tellender, Shaughnessy, when you guys would be talking and you guys would ask me questions on the outside about the Knicks or something, I'd try and answer it like that. Really, I was just in awe. I was, the the fact that you even put me, like welcomed me into your group for a little bit, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was very flattering and it made me feel, it made me feel, it made me feel like I belonged after working at like, the shit jobs of the century <laughs> and um at any rate so if i didn't tell you that before i let you go i i, I wouldn't great, feel very, like very, very kind you say that mike you know you're, you're being yeah. supposed to be modest but but i i truly appreciate it thank you yeah thanks to you and i hope elaine your old family is so hey safe and healthy and um so far so good in that score believe me yeah that's great all right all right thank you sir that was dope <laughs> Thanks to my guest, the great American sports writer and basically human being, Bob Ryan. Also, thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, who is now going to read some of these promos. Why, thank you, Mike. We want to also say thank you to Kristen Woolley, our editor. Kristen, you're the best. Holla, Kristen. Holla. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay has the best in college hoop each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. It's here every Wednesday. Last week, they welcomed Brian Lewis of the New York Post, and they did a great James Harden, Kyrie Irving breakdown. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Mike's good friend Monica McNutt and King McClure drops on Thursday. And this past week, they had Jay Billis of ESPN, who is definitely one of the most interesting men in the world. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, Mike is back every Monday with a new Mike Wise show. We also have a YouTube channel with a ton of great segments you can check out, including Mike's very unplugged conversation (laughs) with Lakers governor, Jeannie Buss. Go to the YouTube channel and search for Pure Hoops Media, Mike. I'm really jealous, King Monica, that you got to talk to Jay Billis before me. Jay's one of my favorite people. Hopefully the year 2021 is when we get rid of this stupid pandemic and get it out as quickly as possible. When you qualify for the vaccination, I mean, this is not a political statement. Do the right thing. Go get it. But until that day arrives, keep your guard up. Wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. Wash your hands, keep your distance, and be considerate of others. I know we've been doing this for so long, and it's just our world now. But let's just try and do it until, shoot, whether it's this time next year, whether it's in six months, we can knock this out. And keep all our medical professionals in your prayers. Until next time, peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.